Thank you for downloading this sermon from Grace Presbyterian Church. Grace is a church where people seeking more grace, more depth, and more community can start finding their way and sharing their gifts with the world. You can follow us online at graceforsufalls.org. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Father, we ask that our trespasses would be forgiven and that when we pray, we would pray as Jesus did. Open our eyes, Lord, to your word. Help us to see and to hear what it is that you have for us to learn. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. It's pretty rare when preaching a sermon for me to have like three easy points. And it's super rare for those points to be alliterated in the classic style. And when it happens, I'm so excited about it that I just want to tell you about it in advance, which ordinarily I would never do with my outline. I prefer for it to kind of sneak up on you. But but now I'm just going to tell you because I'm too excited about all of the P's that we have to look forward to. We're talking about prayer, and we're going to say three things about prayer. We're going to talk about the problem of prayer, and then we're going to talk about the pattern of prayer, and then we're going to talk about the the strength of prayer. No, the the power of prayer. So those three things, if you keep those in your mind, you'll kind of see where we're going here. The problem of prayer, the pattern of prayer, and then finally the power of prayer. We'll start with the problem of prayer, because I think that's the biggest hurdle for us to overcome. When the question of prayer comes up, we often face a problem. A difficulty. There's a reason why this idea of how to pray is one of the most, um, like it's one of the questions Christians ask the most. Even though we pray constantly and our services are filled with prayer, if we said, hey, this Sunday we're going to learn how to pray, a lot of people would show up with excitement and hope that finally they would figure out what it is they're meant to be doing in prayer. I think when we talk about prayer, it's easy for the preacher and the hearer to be talking past one another, so to speak. Ordinarily, when I'm preaching, I'm basically saying something like, hear the word of the Lord, listen to what God is saying. But you, as you come to hear, might be asking yourself, okay, wait, that's great, that's great, hear what God is saying. My problem is, how do I get God to hear me? How do I get God to listen to what I'm saying? How do I convince God to hear my prayer? That, in a nutshell, is the dilemma when it comes to prayer. How do we do it in such a way that God will hear us? How do we get God to listen? This is why when we talk about prayer, we often approach it as a sort of mystery or 
or a problem that needs to be solved. There's this thing that's kind of hidden in plain sight where it's happening all around us, but no one's quite sure how it's meant to be done. If only the pastor could show me the right way to pray. If only somebody could show me the right way to do it so that God would listen to what I have to say. What would it take for God to actually listen? What do I need to do in prayer to be heard by God? One way to answer that question would be to say, this is the wrong question entirely. You shouldn't be concerned about whether or not God hears your prayer. Instead, you should go back to that first thing I said, which is hear what God is saying. Don't worry about him listening to you. You just listen to him, and then we could be done, except that this very human desire to be heard by God, this need to know that God is listening and God is aware, is actually something built into us as human beings. It's not a wrong thing that we need to get over. It is, in fact, a right thing. It is a need that needs to be satisfied. What communion is all about, real communication with God is a two-way Street. It's not just us hearing from him, it is also him hearing from us. And that reality is actually baked into our pattern of worship. The technical term for the way that we worship is dialogical, which suggests the word dialogue. It's a back and forth where God speaks to us and we speak in response and are heard. So when we talk about a longing to be heard by God, don't hear that and dismiss it as some sort of 21st century problem that that we just need to get over. Stop being so sensitive that we need to be heard. Human beings need to be heard by God. Psalmist himself in Psalm 143 cries out, Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my pleas for mercy. That longing to be heard is real. But for many of us, when we cry out in prayer, we are not heard. For many of us, when we pray, we're met with silence. Because we pray to false gods. Gods who cannot hear because they are not real. You think back to 1 Kings chapter 18. One of those amazing prophetic moments where the prophet of God shows his cultural sensitivity to the worshipers of Baal, Elijah, in this great contest between the true God and the false God, Baal, erects these two altars and invites the priests of Baal to try first, to have Baal send down fire from heaven. But Elijah doesn't piously hold back and let them do their thing. He comments on it. He gives them some uh, running commentary. 1 Kings 18, starting in verse 26, we read, They took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is musing, or he is relieving himself, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. 
And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Now in that description of the worship of Baal, of those human beings crying out to the silence, we have a sort of pattern for all human worship that is addressed to a God who doesn't exist. But out of that silence, a lot of stuff has come. Out of the silence of those unanswered prayers, human beings have devised a lot of technique, a lot of method for how to do prayer, meditation, spirituality. A lot of stuff you'll encounter in the world as like the way to do it. The technique of devotion, of prayer, was developed as a way of dealing with the silence. What to do about the fact that when we pray to our gods, they do not answer us. If the false god cannot answer, because the false god doesn't exist, human beings don't give up. Instead, we make the silence sacred. We turn the silence, the the absence of an answer, into something that feels profitable and good. We interpret the silence in ways that seem spiritual and transcendent. If we cannot receive an answer from above, we strive to hear an answer from within. And when you think about that, the idea that through prayer, through some sort of worship, we might come to a greater understanding of ourselves. That is perhaps the most pious human ambition of all. Because don't all of us ultimately want to be known to ourselves, affirmed by ourselves? The great theologian once sang, learning to love yourself is the greatest love of all. This kind of religious practice is another way of doing what we looked at last time. Another way of of making what is meant to be worship of the true God a way of merely exalting ourselves. But over all that spirituality, all of that sort of like deriving something good out of the silence, Jesus writes the word hypocrisy. He says, don't do this and don't learn from it. Do not pray to the Father as if he were a false god. Do not pray to him as if you will not hear because he doesn't hear you. And don't learn how to pray from those who pray to gods who do not exist. Instead, Jesus says, pray like this. Do it this way. Ultimately, those prayers are prayers for men's ears, not God's. And if they're heard by anyone, they're heard by our fellow human beings, not by God. It's easy for us to forget that, though. Even those of us who worship the true God can easily forget this, especially in times of suffering. It's hard to remember that God hears us. You look at the example of Job. In uh, Job 23, Job, a righteous and perfect man, longs for an audience with God. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to his seat. I would lay my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know what he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. Think about that. 
Job's dilemma in his suffering, if he could only find where God is, if he could only summon God and get him here so that he could hear and pay attention to what's going on, then Job thinks he would be vindicated. Ironically, in Job 38, when God suddenly enters into the dialogue, we discover that God has been present all along, that God has been hearing all along. He didn't need to be summoned or invoked. He didn't need the devotion of his people to somehow bridge the distance so that he might come and hear and be present. He was actually present all along, and Job's suffering was never unknown to God. His attention had been focused on Job all along, as indeed his attention is focused on us as well. How hard is it to get God's attention? Not very hard at all, Jesus says. Now, when we look at the Lord's Prayer in our text, we get it in an interesting way in Matthew because it's nested within the text that we looked at last time, that text about self-righteousness, performative righteousness, doing worship for the eyes of men instead of the eyes of God. And that gives what Jesus says here an interesting context. There's a contrast Like, we're not praying to be heard by men. We're praying to be heard by God. The point was to be seen by men, to be heard by men. Then the Gentile way of prayer that Jesus refers to would be great. If all it's about is an impressive spirituality that convinces other people that you're on some legitimate path, definitely learn from the world how to pray like that. But if the point is to be seen and heard by God, then pray like Jesus prays. Pray the way that Jesus tells us to pray. The Gentile way of prayer that Jesus describes, the word that he uses is batalogesete. Bata, sort of a a constant, sounds like battle in in English, and loge is is words, but, but it's a vain repetition in the King James, meaningless repetition in other translations. It's to chatter, to be long-winded, to utter empty words, to stammer, to repeat yourself over and over again in order to get attention. That's the point of it. The kind of prayer that Jesus is describing is a religious act whose length is designed to get God's attention, a kind of incantation that if it's done with enough persistence, if it's done with enough length, God can't help but pay attention to those words. Anywhere where we see the the volume of words increasing, anywhere where you see the repeated formula, almost like a mantra, words that we repeat over and over again as if we needed to invoke God's presence or summon him from some other world so that he might be present and hear us. That's the kind of thing Jesus is describing here, where the repetition is intended to create You might think of it as a state of being inside the worshiper. If I repeat this over and over again, I myself am in a sort of heightened state of prayer. That's the kind of thing Jesus is talking about here. Where the repetition, where the work of prayer is is prescribed to you, almost like medicine. Uh, Say five Hail Marys and call me in the morning as a sort of work that you need to perform so that God might draw near to you. This is the sort of thing that Jesus is describing as the Gentile way of prayer. Because it presupposes a distance that needs to be bridged, that God is somewhere else, that God is on a journey that he's not hearing and somehow needs to be summoned. But by contrast, Jesus' way of prayer 
takes for granted God's continuing presence. The way Jesus prays, there's no need for the incantation. There's no need for the repetition because God is already there. He is already listening. More than that, Jesus says he already knows what it is you want to tell him. He's already aware of what your needs are. So you can cut all that other stuff out and just go directly to him. The way Jesus prays, he prays with assurance. He tells us God already knows your needs. You can be assured that when you pray, he hears. You can pray with simplicity as well. It doesn't need to be fancy. You don't need to impress God. You can't impress God. And you're not praying for other people's ears. So go to God directly. Go to him with confidence. You already have his ear. You don't need all of the fancy circumlocution. You should pray, Jesus says, with sincerity. The exact words of the prayer, getting it right, not flubbing a line, that doesn't matter to God. Getting the length correct, making sure it's long enough. God isn't in heaven listening so that when you recite the Lord's Prayer, making sure that you get it right. God's not up there wondering if you will say debts or trespasses. He doesn't have a preference. He's not concerned that the prayer was too short. He's not saying, nice try, Lyle, but next time, another 10 minutes, and then I will hear. Of course not. What matters to God is the sincerity of heart. It's the offering up of desire that is key, not the formula of words. So Jesus gives us a model. He gives us a pattern of prayer. At the heart of that pattern that he gives us is an offering up of the heart's longing. As you look at our text, you look at the Lord's Prayer here. The Westminster Shorter Catechism devotes a lot of time to unpacking this. In fact, if you go to the catechism, you'll find the very end, the last section of questions, are all devoted to the question of what prayer is and then what to learn from this prayer when it comes to prayer. And the catechism, when it deals with this prayer, divides it up into really seven parts, but but an introduction and then six petitions. So if you look at the text in your order of worship and you take your, your handy pen or pencil or, or if you didn't bring one, you could prick your finger and use blood. I, I, I don't care. But uh, you can go through here and just divide this up and you'll see our Father in heaven, that is the introduction. And then hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the first three petitions. So hallowed be your name, that's one. Your kingdom come, that's two. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that's three. And they're referred to as petitions, and that may surprise you, even if you know the Lord's Prayer by heart and you're accustomed to thinking of it, because oftentimes we don't think of these as petitions, like things that we're asking God to do. We think of them more as like statements of fact. Hallowed be your name, that's something like, uh, God, you are holy. But that's not what it's saying. It's it's not saying, God, you are holy. Hallowed be your name is is saying something more like, God, make your name holy. Glorify yourself. So it's entreating God to do something. And each of those first three petitions is entreating God to do something. They are are God-focused, right? So you see, 
Uh, Hallowed be your name is a focus on God's glory. Your kingdom come is a focus on his reign, on his kingdom. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That focuses on his will. Now, when the catechism explains prayer, it describes prayer as an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. And I've always loved that phrase, offering up of our desires unto God. If you wonder what the point of prayer is, what you're supposed to be doing in prayer, if you only knew that, you would know enough. That it's about opening your heart to God, sharing with God the desires of your heart. Where should we look in Scripture to learn about prayer? The Catechism says all of Scripture is useful for us in directing us how to pray, but especially this, especially this prayer that Jesus teaches us. And it's interesting to see that division, that the first three petitions are focused on God doing things for God. And then there's three more petitions that are focused on God doing things for us. So we saw the first three, but the second three are give us this day our daily bread. That's the fourth petition. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. That's the fifth. And then lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's the sixth. So we talk about our needs. We talk about our sins. We talk about our weakness in prayer as well. So in the first three petitions, we pray that God would glorify his name, that he would enable us and others to glorify him. We pray that Satan's kingdom would be destroyed and that the kingdom of God's grace would be extended, and that the kingdom of glory that is to come would be hastened, the catechism says. When we pray that his will be done, we pray that God, by his grace, would make us able and willing to know and obey and submit to his will as the angels do in heaven. So again, all of these petitions together are about God ruling and reigning in all creation, about God glorifying himself and, and the boundaries of his reign extending. And so we pray for that. We desire that. But we have more personal desires as well. We go to God for our own provision. We pray that we may receive what the catechism calls a competent portion of the good things of this life and enjoy his blessing with them. A competent portion is a good way, I think, of putting it. We're not asking for excess, for too much. We're asking for daily bread. We have needs and we're asking God to fulfill those needs. But we also pray about our sins, that he might forgive us. We pray that God, for Christ's sake, would freely pardon all of our sins. And we do it on the basis of the forgiveness that we've shown to others. But as we have shown forgiveness, we ask God to be forgiving of us. We also pray about temptation because we recognize our weakness and that we need God's power in order to persevere in faith. We ask that he would keep us from being tempted, or that when we're tempted, he would keep us from succumbing to temptation. The Shorter Catechism is not alone in in walking step by step through the Lord's Prayer in this way. If you look at Reformation-era confessions of faith and catechisms, this is a really common way of approaching the subject of prayer. Essentially, what we're doing is using the, the prayer that Jesus gives us as a model, as a, an example that you would then amplify. 
The idea is that as I pray to God and I wonder, like, what should I pray about? Jesus is showing us the kind of things that we should pray about. And each of these things in one way or another is is an opening up of our hearts, an offering up of the desires of our heart as we desire to see his kingdom come. We desire to see our own simple needs met. These are all things that we bring to God with confidence the way that you would go to a father for help. The way that you would go to a father who is there and wants to help you, that's the way to pray, Jesus says. Don't pray as if there's a great distance. Don't pray as if God doesn't know already. Don't pray as if your needs are somehow beneath him. Instead, pray with this simple sincerity. And don't get caught up on technique. Don't get caught up on on formulas any more than you would talking to a parent. Because your parent doesn't care if you get the words right. No father refuses to help a child in need because they didn't say it the right way. Maybe if they're trying to teach you to say please, they might insist that you say please, but they're not going to withhold help from you because of a technicality. God is greater than any human parent. And so pray to him that way. Don't pray to him the way people pray to gods who are not there. Pray to him the way that you would pray to a God who is always present. That's the pattern of prayer. And then finally, we have to think about the power of prayer because Jesus underscores the fifth petition, the one about forgiveness. He, he amplifies that a little bit. He says, if, if we forgive, then we will be forgiven. But if we don't forgive, then we will not be forgiven. When we ask for forgiveness, we offer up the forgiveness that we have shown as a sort of basis. We're saying, God, look, I have been forgiving. Please forgive me. Essentially, here Jesus is reiterating what he said in Matthew 5, 7, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Or to put it another way, those who have been forgiven are forgiving. We live in the light of God's forgiveness, and it changes the way that we respond to those around us. The way that we pray and the way that we live should be in harmony. So if we pray the way that Jesus teaches us to pray, then we will live the way that Jesus tells us to live. If we want to be provided for by God, then we will strive to provide for the needs of others. If we want to be forgiven by God, then we will strive to forgive others. If we want to be spared temptation, then we won't put temptation in the path of others. We will live as we pray in sincerity and in simplicity as if God were here with us because he is. But the power of prayer isn't in that. The power of prayer is not in changing the way you do it so you're not praying the Gentile way, you're praying the Jesus way instead. I'm not saying that if you have not felt that your prayers are being answered, it could be that you're doing it wrong and that now you can go home and start praying in sincere simplicity the way Jesus says to pray and you will see a difference because once you change your way of praying, the power will flow. I'm not saying that at all because the power of prayer is not in the pattern of prayer. The power of prayer is in something else. The power of prayer is in Christ's intercession. It's not in praying the way Jesus says to pray. It's in Jesus himself that the power is found. Or to put it another way, the power is not in the way we pray 
after Jesus' example. The power is in the way that Jesus prays for us day by day. Jesus intercedes for us. We get a taste for this in John's Gospel, what's called the high priestly prayer. Before Jesus' arrest and crucifixion, he prays this lengthy prayer for us. Here's an excerpt in John 17, starting in verse 10. Jesus prays to God, the Father, All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. The reason that we can pray the way Jesus prayed is that we are one with him. Jesus is one with the Father, and we are one with Jesus. And if that's true, then we can pray to the Father as if we are one with him, because we are, because he is present with us. That's the basic chain of Christ's intercession. When we talk about Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us, this is what's going on. It's Jesus, who's one with the Father, is also one with us and represents our needs to him. He not only tells us how to pray, he prays for us on our behalf. And we don't need anyone else to serve as a go-between. There is no distance that needs to be bridged. We don't need some other kind of mediator to draw God near or to take our concerns to him. We don't need to pray to Moses, the mediator of the old covenant, and ask Moses to go and represent our cares and concerns to God. We can pray directly to God himself. There is no other human mediator that we've been given as a go-between but Christ alone. And if we are one with him, then we are one with the Father, and we can pray to him directly. Jesus is your high priest, and you can speak to God and know that you are being heard, that he is present, that your cares are in his sight. But without Jesus, you're left to pray as the Gentiles do to pray to the silence, to pray to the made-up gods whose ears are wood or stone. Without Jesus, you're left to pray to yourself. But the power of prayer is in Christ. The power of prayer is in his intercession. With Christ interceding, you don't have to get the words right. With Christ interceding, you don't have to heap up empty phrases. With Christ interceding, God hears and God answers. Don't pray the way that they do, Jesus says. Pray like this and live like this for the glory of God. Thank you for listening. 
You can find more sermons from Grace and information about joining us for worship by visiting our website at graceforsufalls.org. We also invite you to visit the iTunes store and subscribe to the Sermons of Grace podcast.